let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times best-selling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. One, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Dr. Ryan P. Lowry, PhD, a 2014 national champion baseball player, earned his BS and MS in exercise physiology and exercise and nutrition science from the University of Tampa. Ryan completed his doctorate work at Concordia University in health and human performance with a focus on the effects of a well-formulated ketogenic diet and exogenous ketone supplementation on various markers of health and disease populations, which is incredibly cool, and I super want to dig into that. Uh, Ryan currently serves as a president of the Applied Science. Ryan currently serves as a president of the Applied Science and Performance Institute and strategic advisor of ketogenic.com. Over his career, Ryan has published over 150 papers, abstracts, and book chapters on human performance and sports nutrition, and a lot of other incredibly, incredibly impressive accolades that this brief introduction could not nearly do you justice. So without any more hesitation and any more blabbering on my part, please put your digital hands together for Dr. Ryan Lowry. How you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing great, brother. That was awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, man. It's such an honor to speak with you. I appreciate it, man. I, I love what you're doing. I love, I love the ability to, to get the message out to the world. Absolutely. Let's dive into that message. What is your story? Yeah, so uh, in short, uh, my story basically started when I was younger. Uh, my grandmother passed away at 60 years old, far too early. Yeah. And for me, that set me down this path of like, you know what, I want to go down this, ra- this route of figuring out how to prevent that from happening to, to other people. How do I be proactive instead of reactive to certain things? And my family dealt with a whole host of medical complications from obesity, diabetes, Crohn's, MS. And I was like, you know what, maybe that's the field I want to go into. And so I went to University of Tampa, like you mentioned, I played baseball there for many years. But also while I was doing that, I met my now business partner, who is my one of my first teachers, and that's Dr. Jacob Wilson. And we started doing research. And he kind of introduced me to this concept of like, actually doing human performance research, where we're studying different nutrition interventions, 
different supplements, different exercise protocols. And I was fascinated by it. I loved it. And I was like, wow, you could actually make a career out of this. And so we did. And so we were, we were doing a lot of research, went on, did my master's in exercise and nutrition science. And I became in love with the concept of nutrition because nu- nutrition to me was the one core foundation that applied to everyone. Like everyone eats, not everyone will exercise, not everyone will take supplements, but like everyone at some point has to put food inside of their body. And so I just loved studying that. And so went on, did my PhD in health and human performance. And then we created, we said, you know what? Academia is great, uh, but there's four walls in the ceiling and you're teaching typically to kids who don't want to be there. Um, like you might have two, two in the audience that are actually paying attention, but we're like, you know what, this needs to actually reach people. Like we wanted to take what people see like 10 years too late, which is the high level research that's going on and be able to practically apply that to people. And so that's why we, we created the applied science and performance Institute, which basically bridges that gap between like hardcore science and practical application. So you said three things that I really, really want to drill down into. The first is being proactive versus being reactive. Can you, can you go like super deep into that concept and how you developed it, why it's important and how do you actually do it? Some actionable steps. Absolutely. So I think a lot of times in today's modern medicine world, we're very reactive. We're very, oh, I have type two diabetes. Now I need to go on insulin and do go all this, go down this rabbit hole or, oh, I'm obese. And now I need to, to go down this rabbit hole of trying to do these extreme diets, take these pills, do all this stuff. And for our goal is like, you know what, like, why don't you take, why don't you focus on the people who are somewhat healthy and prevent that from happening? And so our whole approach is we literally take a full gamut. Like um, the best way to explain what we do at ASPI is like, imagine like if anyone's ever remembers or has seen like the ESPN sports science where like they break people down, like they're looking at like a micro level, like how their knee turns and this, imagine that, but for all facets of health. And so that's what we do. We basically bring people in and we look at them every, like we work with like everyone from like Tony Robbins to people who have Parkinson's and Alzheimer's to like high level athletes, like some of the best Olympians in the world, because at the end of the day, what matters to each one of them, even though it's slightly different, it all stems back from making small changes. Like for an Olympian, one slight tweak might mean the difference between them not being on the pedestal versus getting a gold medal. Whereas like for someone who's looking to enhance their career, being proactive with their health, one small change could be like the butterfly effect that it, they, they need in order to institute a change and like prevent them from going down the route towards type two diabetes or obesity or some of these other complications. So being proactive, like in essence, it, it stems from what you put inside of your body. And, and like, I'll t- I talk about it a lot, not only from a supplement, nutrition, exercise realm, but it's what you're consuming. It's the content you're consuming. Are you feeding yourself all of this negative nonsense every single day and like wrapped up in a stressful work environment where you're like killing yourself and you're, you're, you're going like, oh my God, I'm working all of these hours. This is crazy. Um, and then you go home to your family and you're stressed out. Like some people typically only think of nutrition and exercise, but there's a whole psychological, social, mental uh, component of things that you really need to work on in order to dial it in to really be proactive in your health. 
So I want to get back to the high performance, absolutely. Uh, but but I want to I want to ask one question about what you were just saying. Um, you said you were working with incredible people like Tony Robbins and, and athletes and and whatnot. How do you build that relationship with somebody like Tony Robbins, who's off doing whatever Tony Robbins does with his day? Like, how do you get on his radar and and work with him? Yeah, it's it's the long game. It's understanding like that relationship was built over the last 10 years. And I think sometimes people look at that and they might see, hey, uh, I'm going to I'm going to go try and build a relationship with Tony Robbins. You have to understand all of the back end that was built into that, all the sacrifices of like, no, you never know like who you're close to. You never know. You want to be like one degree of separation from someone that you want to try and get in contact with. So like, the way it ended up for us, like we were doing research, we were doing studies with someone who ended up being a business partner with Tony. And then we did, we did great work, continued to do great research over the last five years for this guy. And he's like, you know what, I need to bring someone into your facility. And then all of a sudden, Tony Robbins shows up, then he invited us out. And now we're doing all of his research at every one of his UPW events. He comes to the facility once a month to get like a tune up checkup. And he's just it's just a great long-term building relationship. And I think that's how anything that's significant uh, should be built. That's amazing. And it seems like there's a very, uh, a very similar um, approach to performance as, as what you're saying with the relationship, that it's a long-term game and you have to be proactive. If you want, if you want to, you know, and of course, you know, you're, you're the one that's actually doing it. You're the expert here, but it seems like from my perspective, if you want to have Tony Robbins come into your facility for a checkup once a month, you want to have been building that for 10 years. You don't want to be, you know, starting that process the day you want that to happen. And, and, and it seems like that's, that's kind of a similar theme with the, with the high performance of, you know, being proactive and, and being very intentional about that. And, um, and, and you mentioned consumption as well. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit. It seems like a lot of the principles of being healthy, being, a, being a, a, an optimal performer, being at high performance, it seems like they're, it's, lo- it's very logical, at, at least to me. Maybe, maybe, it's not, maybe it's not common sense. I'm not sure. But do you feel like there's this competing force of mass media, McDonald's, consumerism, like a lot billions of dollars of corp, you know, corporate messaging that's like going against you. Do you feel like there's that power struggle going on? For sure. And I think, I think there's uh, human psychology innately. We're more attracted to the negative. I think people have it ingrained in where it's like, if you look at the news, it's why people like, like love the news. I have grandparents still that like, cannot complete their day without watching the news and you look at it and like if you look at a hundred news stories 90 of them have to deal with something that's negative someone getting killed murdered kidnapped and like people are so attracted to that because they're like oh my gosh uh like they have all these different mindsets and i'm like you know what there's my perspective is what if i can go out and change people's perspective and, and let them understand like there's a lot of good going out on the, in the world there's a lot of incredible things that happens. And to the point that you were talking about earlier, I think that leads to like this spiral effect of 
where like you start surrounding yourself with people who are positive. You start surrounding yourself with people who are doing good things and it leads you closer to like the Tony Robbins of the world rather than you can get easily trapped. And I've had friends, family members who have gotten trapped in this like negative whirlwind of like, cool, I'm going down this path. And then they, they see the world from a negative viewpoint instead of saying, you know what? There's amazing things going on. Like this person, like all these good news stories that are going on, perspective, gratitude, the fact that you woke up today and someone else didn't, like those things allow uh, lift you up and give you a whole sense of like, wow, like I'm super, super grateful to even be here. Like being on this podcast right now uh, and talking to, to you and everyone about this. And some people just lose sight of that and they get so entrapped in the negative. And so one of my biggest goals is how do I, I pull people out of that and let them see like the world's incredible. Like you just need to shift that and, and like, let's go on this movement of making positivity louder. It seems like that message has been of, uh, and I'm talking about on the other side of the, the negativity. It seems like that has been continually beat into our minds over years and years and years and years and years and years. So how do you position your message? How do you how do you instill your message and make sure that that is a concrete force that is going to overcome these years and years and billions and billions of dollars of negativity? It's a great question. It's one it's it's not easy. It's a grind uh, every single day, but it's it's the biggest way to do it is allowing people to understand perspective. And I'm very, very big on perspective. I'm very big on the fact that things can be going horribly at any moment. Like it doesn't matter how horrible your situation is. You're 10 times better than someone else. And you don't understand that because you never, you're not exposed to that. You're not in the, in that environment. So you have people all the time that come home, they complain to their family, their job sucks, they hate their boss. And it's like, cool, you have a home. There's a lot of people out in the world who don't. Like, think about that for a second. Like, I always try, and it's not a perfect system. It's understanding and reframing your mind in the situation and going, we're all going to get angry. There's always going to be things that come up in life where people are like, oh, that's frustrating. That's, that's upsetting. But it's how you reframe that. It's how you process that. And, and your reaction to that is what dictates the outcome. And so understanding like, oh, God forbid someone got into a car accident. And you're freaking out about it. You're like, oh, dang, I got to go to the car shop now. Someone nicked my car, blah, blah. It's like, rather than get super upset about it, yeah, that, that sucks. But at the end of the day, you have a car. There's people who would kill to have the opportunity to have a car. There are people that would kill to have a house or a job or a roof, like all of these different things and, and you take it for granted because you aren't seeing the other side of things. And the biggest one that I always tell people is, like I said earlier, like you woke up today, you have the opportunity to do whatever you want. You have 24 hours, the same 24 hours that everyone in the world has. It's what you do with those 24 hours that matters. So don't take it for granted and say, oh, I'm just going to be miserable, upset. It's like you have a gift of a day. You're not promised tomorrow. No one is. So you have the gift right now. Why waste it being so filled with negativity? You know, it's funny you say that, you know, we're, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Uh, I was just listening to this, uh, this Les Brown audiobook, and he said, we all have the same two things going for us when we're born. <laughs> 
we're naked and stupid. <laughs> so, so he says, you're a clean slate from when you, when you first get started. That's <laughs> true. So I, you know, I, thought, I thought that was interesting you brought that up. Um, and, and, I, and I love how you talked about perspective too, because a lot of people do have it a lot, a lot worse than, than us. I mean, I, I can only speak personally because I don't know everybody's situation and, and I don't want to pretend to. Um, but, you know, there, there are people that I know personally have it, have it way worse than me. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I think, I think the things that you said, there was a lot of wisdom in there and, uh, and, and I appreciate you saying that, um, you, you mentioned high performance and we talked a little bit about perspective and we talked about proactivity and we talked, uh, um, a little bit about a little bit about high performance, but I really want to drill down. Like, what does it take? And it's a little bit of a loaded question because we don't have like seven hours to go into. It. But what does it take to really be a high performance individual? Yeah, I think it. Like, I look at high performance individuals from. I mean, you could, a lot of times people immediately go to athletes, but there's a lot of high, Tony Robbins is a high performance individual. Like that guy just has a different mindset than the rest of the world. You look at people like the Jeff Bezos who owns Amazon, like he's a high performance athlete. The guy could retire today and have money for him, his grandchildren, his children, his grandchildren, great grandchildren, but he doesn't stop. It's relentless. It is a relentless pursuit because it's not the money factor that means anything to him. It's like a game to him of like, you know what? I have this gift and that's what it takes really to be a high performance individual is understanding you have a gift and your, your goal is how do I, how do I transform as many lives? How do I give that gift to the rest of the world and apply that? Because I think so many people go to their graves with gifts inside of them and never truly express it. And so these high level athletes, yeah, they're like, when you're, if you're talking athletes, sure. Is there a genetic component to what they're doing? For sure. I'm me at, six foot, I'm probably not going to be the, the best NBA guy, right? Like, or if some, my Jacob, who is five, five, probably not going to have the best shot of being in the NBA. So is there a genetic component? No doubt about it. But there are people who have the genetics, but don't put in the work. And it's those people like you see the Kobe Bryant's, the Michael Jordan's of the world. And you listen to some of their stories. Like we work with um, Tim Grover. Uh, he's basically, he was Michael Jordan's coach. He works with one of our athletes, Jameis Winston. And, and it's, it's amazing to sit down and talk with him about like the mindset that Michael Jordan had um, of like, you know what? Cool. Like he was at, he was the best of the best. Right. And you, and people sometimes at that point become complacent, right? They, they go, Oh, I'm the best of the best. I'm cool. I can just let it ride out. But guys like that have a sickening work ethic where like they're never satisfied. Like there is no such thing as being content and they're always pushing. They're still the hardest worker in the room. And that's the Jeff Bezos, the Tony Robbins concept of like, you wouldn't believe I've been on conference calls with Tony and like the guy is grinding till two o'clock in the morning. Like he has so many different things that are going on and it would be so, so easy for someone on the outside to go, why don't you just shut it down? Like, why don't you just like chill, like go on vacation with your wife? Like just, but they're always going, they're always churning and they're never satisfied so i think it's a uh, like a, a sickening work ethic for sure a good mindset to say you know what i want to give this gift to the world and 
having something that they're going after that's pulling them rather than they're pushing. It's not like Tony goes into any of his ventures. It's not like some of the athletes we go into go, I hate football or, oh, I hate this business. That's pushing against what you're doing. No, they love it. It's pulling them to do greater things. It's pulling them to have greater success. And that's what's allowing them to stay up till two o'clock in the morning, working on their passion or working on their craft. You know, I, I totally agree with the, the work ethic because, and, and, and not, not just work ethic, but continuing to push and to strive and you, you have a dream, you conquer it. You go to the, you go to the next dream, you create a bigger dream. Somebody much wiser than myself once said, when I die, I would rather it be climbing up a new mountain than sliding back down an old one. Love and, that. And I, I think that. I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant quote. Um, so, okay. So we talked about work ethic. Um, what are the other components of, uh, I mean, or, or is that, cause it seems like work ethic is a subset of mindset. Is, is it, is it just those components or like how else do we become a very high performance human beings? Yeah, I think focused, I think, I think focus is absolutely key. And I think, a lot of times people confuse what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Like you look at some of the most elite athletes in the world um, and we're fortunate enough to work with, with several of them. You look at some of the most elite business men and women in the world uh, and you look at what they're able to do, like their efficiency is so much higher than most other people. And I think it's about being efficient and having focused work in a sense that like, if I'm a professional, if I'm Derek Jeter, And in his prime, like he knew when he went into the cages, his hour of batting practice work was so effective and so efficient because he knew exactly what he wanted to work on. Whereas someone else might go in the cage and be like, oh, I worked longer than him because I was in there for 10 hours. But in between they're texting on their phone, in between they're doing this, they're not really focusing on what they're trying to accomplish. That's the difference. And I think a lot of times like someone asked, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, like, how much time do you spend working on Facebook? And he's like, well, like, if you're talking about at the office, not very much. But if you're talking about all of the other outside hours that I'm thinking about new things to innovate every single waking minute. And like those guys are like, he's so efficient with his time. And I think so many people like go to their go to their jobs. And it's like, oh, I work 40 hours a week. And I, I question them. I, I do this to a lot of my teams. I'm like, are, like think about this, and this is why I'm flexible with work schedules, going, taking breaks, doing what you want to do, because I'd rather someone have laser-focused, efficient four hours than try and spend nine hours at the office just to try and look good. I'm like, no, you're wasting not only your time, you're wasting my time as well. I'd rather you come in and be like, this is what I I, I need to accomplish today. This is what I want to accomplish. Cool, go spend and then spend the rest of the day with your friends and family. Like there's no need for you to sit in here and waste time. I think that that model, that concept in the business world is so outdated. It's like, no, come in, get what you need to get done, be efficient with your time, crank, and then go home and, and be fulfilled in what you're trying to do at, at home. And then I want you to come into the workplace and do the same thing. Let, let's drill down more into what you just said. Um, and by the way, you just you're throwing massive value bombs out here, and I'm very appreciative of that. Clearly, you're an expert, and and you know what you're doing. Um, and and it's very, I mean, I I, lo- I love 
talking to to people of your caliber who really know what they're what they're talking about. Um, so you're talking about being ruthlessly efficient with your time and coming in, focusing on the most important thing, getting it done, and then hey, you're good, you did it. How do you identify? that most important thing? How do you structure your tasks and, and do your planning and your goal setting to where you know, okay, today is the, the most important thing is this. Tomorrow, the most important thing is that and, and get that done. Very great question. Um, and I'm huge on prioritizing thing. I think um, one of the biggest things that like I tell my team uh, like I literally have this, this rule inside of every single one of our offices is the minute that someone says, I don't have time, they have to go and buy me lunch. Because I said, that's a false statement. Like you do have time. We all have time. It's what is my priority? It's like, don't tell me you don't have time. It's tell me, like, I'd rather someone say, that's not my priority. Then I don't have time because we, it's, it's a lie. You do have time. It's just not a priority. And so it comes down to priority, prioritizing things, creating things as like, is this a type A, a type B or a type C priority? Like, a type A is like, this needs to get done in, in the business world. It's, it's like, it's, it's got immediate revenue opportunity or it's something that's immediate or could be catastrophic if it doesn't get addressed right here, right now, or it's a time sensitive material, like knock those out. I'm very big. Like my daily routine uh, is, is very interesting, but like in the morning I start with like my most focused work is even before I go into the office. Like I am at home laser focused answering emails for an hour after I do my morning routine and just hammer out emails that are type A priorities that I already listed out the night before. Like it's not like I'm just scrolling through my email. It's like, no, I know I need to identify and respond to these five people that's going to be my priority for this morning. Uh, and then when I go into the office, that's when I start tackling like other bigger type A priorities that are like, all right, cool. These deal with uh, whether it's keyagenic.com or ASPI, whatever we're working on. Um, and so it's really comes down to prioritizing your time and creating buckets. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. One of the things I tell my team all the time is take breaks. Like I don't, I, I'm not the type of guy who's trying to look for the Rambo and is like, Oh, I'm going to sit at my desk for all eight hours today and not move an inch. I'm like, well, that's dumb because there's no one who could sit there and have high level focused work for eight hours. It's not going to happen. So like I create chunks of like work blocks where it's like, cool, I'm going to like, I'm going to drill this in work really hard for an hour. And then, you know what? I'm going to get up, go outside, take a 15 minute walk, get some vitamin D and then boom, I'm going to go back into another hour. Uh, so that that's kind of how I chunk my day, creating lists, creating priorities, and then chunking them out and fitting them within those blocks. Can you drill into that morning routine? You said that you said you you said I have a morning routine, and then you and then you went on and and got really detailed. But I'm really interested in that morning routine part. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I start with gratitude. I have a gratitude journal and write it right. As soon as I'm, I get out of bed, it is straight to the gratitude journal. And I write down three things I'm grateful for. Um, I write down three things I'm looking forward to in the day. And then it's an I am statement. Um, and so those things like you, people might be wondering, like, how do you come up 365 days? How do you come up with three things you're grateful for every day? 
and you'd be surprised. Like, like one of the ones I wrote this morning is I'm grateful for running water. Like there are people in the world who don't have that. You know, it's, it's not like, Oh, I'm grateful for this new watch. Like, no, it's, I'm grateful for running water. I'm grateful that my, I had my air on last night and it was 69 degrees in my house when some people are sleeping in Florida and it's 85 degrees or 90 degrees right now. So just small things like that. So I start with gratitude. It really sets the pace for the day. Um, then I go into like, I have like this, these brain games on my phone where, um, what, like I do a brain game. Then right now I'm in the process of learning Spanish. So I'm, I'm trying to learn Spanish because I speak all around the world. And, uh, I, I tend to find myself in a lot of Spanish speaking countries. I'm like, ah, I want to, I want to figure that out. So that's a priority for me. And then I immediately go and knock out that hour block of emails and then it's, it's, I walk my dog and then it's straight to the gym. And so that's like every single morning, don't miss a beat. Alarm clock set at five o'clock in the morning, knock that out. And then I'm, I feel like by the time 7.30 comes around, I feel so accomplished because I'm done my workout. I'm on my way to like headed to the office. I'm, I feel so great that it's like, cool. Like most people are just getting up drinking their morning cup of Joe, reading the paper. And I've already knocked out all of these things. So that's my, my little routine. I want to drill into human performance or to optimal performance um, a little bit more. And then, uh, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. So I want to talk about the research that you're doing and, and all the good work that you're doing too. Uh, we talked a lot about mindset and, and about what's going on in our heads. Can we talk about like, um, you know, is, is, is it relationships or is it uh, what you're, what you're eating? We talked about that a little bit, but like nutrition, is it, you know, the types of exercise you're doing, like what else goes into optimal performance? Yeah. Another great question. I think it's a mix of both, right? I think the foundation certainly needs to be what you're feeding your brain um, from like the, the outside stuff. You can, you can have the best training in the world. You could have your nutrition dialed in, but if you don't have your, your mindset, right, none of it, it's all for, for nothing at the end of the day. So I, that's a very important piece. Sleep is another very important piece. I think it's, it's so easy to sacrifice and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. Like for me, it's one of the first things that goes down the priority list. Like, cool. Like, even though I know how important sleep is, I study it. We do research on it all the time. I understand like for me, it's, it's easy to, to not prioritize that in my day-to-day -day life, <clears throat> but it also comes down to nutrition for sure. We do a lot of stuff on something known as a ketogenic diet. It's very popular right now. People are talking about it. We've been researching it for the last five to 10 years and uh, really from a variety of different applications, not only like with a lot of our athletes, we talk about it more so from like a traumatic brain injury, protecting the brain type of uh, aspect. But also we're looking at a lot of like, obviously there's body composition and obesity applications, but also like a neurological perspective, uh, mainly Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and traumatic brain injury. Those are areas we're actively exploring right now in our lab with keto, um, which for those of you who don't know, it's, it's like a higher fat, lower carb, moderate protein uh, approach. You're eating things like different meats, avocados, and fibrous vegetables. Like that's, that's in essence what we study. Um, and then exercise for sure. Like 
any type of movement's better than no movement. That's that's the one thing I say. Like my mom, I'm super proud of her. She gets up every morning, gets 15 minutes on the treadmill, and that's that's where she taps out. Maybe once or twice a week, she might go in and hit some weights along with it. And I'm like, those are like home run days, and I love that. But like, she's getting some movement in. I love it. So any movement's better than no movement. But like, if you can incorporate in resistance training at any level. It's very, very important because as we get older, we start to experience something known as sarcopenia, which is age-related muscle loss. So a lot of slips, falls, hip fractures, a lot of that stems from not having enough support or power and muscle tissue. You want to make sure you're doing some type of resistance training. It doesn't need to be hardcore bodybuilder style resistance training. Just make sure you're moving some weights uh, and getting that in as well. Let's talk about some of the research that you're doing. Actually, I'd like to talk about all the research that you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, can can you go into it and and what y'all have accomplished so far? What's the biggest focus now, and, and where are you trying to take it? Yeah, so a lot of it's in uh, a lot of it's right now is in the keto space. So we're doing a lot in the neurological space. Um, one of the things that we are seeing tremendous results with is like a, a ketogenic diet. Uh, being used for like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's patients, mainly because they're starting to refer to Alzheimer's as like type three diabetes. And the reason they're saying that is because as, as you get older and as you become, uh, as you're starting to, to develop Alzheimer's, your brain can't utilize carbohydrates or glucose as well anymore. And so it's basically starving. Your brain's starving regardless of if you're feeding it like, oh, I'm feeding it whole wheat, or even if you're trying to eat, like your brain's starving because it can't properly utilize that glucose and carbohydrates. So we switch the fuel source. We start to use more fats as fuel and allow that to, to kind of come in and provide that fuel source and that neuroprotective effect for the brain. So we're seeing incredible stuff there. We're doing everything um, from different training protocols with some of our elite athletes looking at like high intensity interval training to one of the more research utilizing uh, some pretty cutting edge stem cell uh, technology and applying that to uh, older patients, people who are experiencing maybe some of that sarcopenia or Parkinson's patients. So we do the whole host. So everything from your sarcopenia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's to studying like how do we take an Olympic medalist and figure out or like Jameis Winston and figure out how to tweak them and study them and figure out how to apply different interventions for them. What have been some of the biggest breakthroughs that you've discovered in, in your time doing this? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, a lot of it's been on the nutritional piece, like how powerful nutrition can actually be in changing and changing body composition, but also like a lot of this neurological stuff that that stuff fascinates me because people often don't talk about it immediately. Uh, it's a lot. It's not known. So immediately typically people go, Hey, here's a drug. Um, take this. And the ketogenic diet itself was established a long time ago, but really the best application it's been used for is drug resistant epilepsy. Um, and so when drugs failed, the ketogenic diet thrived. And so the fact that it's acting on certain aspects of your body, just by changing the foods that you're putting inside of your body is incredible. And so we've seen some incredible breakthroughs, like with Parkinson's patients who literally are having tremors right in front of your face. 
and placing them on the ketogenic diet or even, even delivering some of the exogenous ketones and seeing them stop having tremors like almost 30 minutes later. And it's like, like the power within that. And for us, I think the, the greatest takeaway and the ultimate fulfillment and a, a great mentor of mine once told me, they said, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So any type of research we're trying to do at the end of the day, it's you want to be fulfilled in what you're doing. So for us, that fulfillment comes from people literally like it's literally changing their lives. Like, oh, cool. I'm eating bacon and avocados and meat and I'm, I'm minimizing all the processed sugar and carbohydrates I'm eating. And it's changing my life. Like I'm, I'm starting to get my wife back or my husband back. They're starting to remember things that they hadn't remembered before in the past. And like, I just look at that and I'm like, what's that worth to someone? Like, I can only like imagine, like imagine being in that situation and being like, what's that one, even if it's one day of better health, better vitality, better longevity. And it's cool to be able to be on the other side of that and being on the proactive side and studying some of these interventions. Well, Brian, I, I want to thank you not only for coming on the show today uh, and, and sharing this time with me, but I, I really want to thank you for everything that you do um, because, you know, both both of my grandmas, both of whom have, have passed, um, they both struggled with dementia and, and Alzheimer's. And that was a very painful, slow process and, and, a, and, and a journey for them. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So, yeah. you know, thank, thank you for what you do for, for the world and, and for science and for, for people around the world. Thanks, brother. I, I appreciate that. And you too, man. Thank you for getting the message out and sharing everything that you do with the world. That's just as impactful. So I have a couple more questions for you, then, then we'll wrap it on up. Um, one of the things that I feel is, is a bedrock of humanity is connection. So I'm interested in learning what is your philosophy on developing deep, meaningful, and genuine connection with another person? I think it's one of the most important things in the world. Um, and I think a lot of that, similar to what we were talking about of what late, what makes someone a high performance individual I think the same principles apply to what makes a strong, intimate connection. And it can be a relationship base of like boyfriend, girlfriend, but it could also be a strong friendship. And for what that, and today more than ever, we're starting to lose that. We're starting to get more and more people who are friends behind phones or friends on social media, but like, well, yeah, exactly. Like what are, when are, where are the days where it's like, oh, let me go hang out. And like, I don't have my cell phone. How many times and people, and I'm guilty, I'm not perfect at this, but how many Me times too. have you gone out to, to eat and it's all of a sudden like you're out to eat with your friends and like you look over and like someone's on their phone like texting. It's like, I don't, I get to see you probably like, even if it's just once a month and like you're, you're distracted talking to someone else on the phone. So for me, this has been something it was, it was told to me a, a very long time ago and I apply it every single day. Uh, and, I, and this is one of my routines. So like, when I go home, as crazy as this sound, like I don't have any children yet um, I, and I live by myself, but I do have a dog. And so like, he's like my child. He's like, he's like my son. And so for me, one of my absolute, it's, it's an, it's a absolute for me. There's no changing this is that when I go home and when I, like when I pull inside of my garage, 
I will not go into the house distracted. Like will not. So if I'm on a phone and say I'm on a conference call, I will sit in my car for an hour and a half before I ever walk in the house. And like, it does not matter. And the reason is because I know on the other side of that door, when I walk in, he wants my full undivided attention. Like he's look, he's sitting on the couch, looking up at me, tail wagging. And I'm like, I'm coming in that door, full undivided attention, dropping my bag. And we're going to, we're going to play, we're going to hang out. And so I know that that's the case. And that's principles that I want to apply to my family when I have one one day that I will not walk into a door when they're waiting on the other side with problems, with stress, with frustration. I can have the worst day possible, but like that doesn't mean I need to transfer that onto you. Like if I'm going to hang out with my friends, it doesn't like to them, what matters is like sharing, being in the moment, being present. I'm big on that. Like I'm huge on like being present, being here now versus thinking about like, oh, let me drag all of my, all of the stuff that I had going on today or all the stuff I'm worried about in the future. No, they don't deserve that. They deserve your full undivided attention and for you to be present in the moment and being active in whatever you're doing with it. That's pretty damn good philosophy, man. I have to say, uh, what's your greatest theory? Honestly, I would say uh, it stems back to what we talked about with perspective and positivity. Like my biggest thing, like I am so hardcore on this make positivity louder. Like it's, it's, un- it's ingrained inside of me now at this point. And what we just talked about, like literally my next tattoo is going to be be here now because it's so ingrained in, into me. And I talked about it with my dog, uh, his name's Scoot, but uh, I talked about it with Scoot, but like at the end of the day, that's how every relationship should be. Like if I'm having a conversation or I ask a friend out to coffee and like, I should give them my full undivided attention. Like, trust me, the world will be okay. Like, like I see it with, I've gotten to lunch with Tony Robbins. The guy has more businesses than I even know of. And like, if he can sit there and give you his full undivided attention for an hour, like, trust me, I can give you my full undivided attention as your friend um, or my mom or my dad, like that matters to people. And I, I think people uh, don't see people. Do, are you still there? Yep. Yeah. People, people don't see that concept of like, cool, I'm, I'm out to eat with friends and like, oh, it's just a text or, oh, I'm, let me just take this phone call real quick. No, like leave it. Trust me. You can get that in an hour. Give me your full undivided attention for, for however long I'm going to be with you. Is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that we did not talk about today? In other words, what did I miss? Honestly, man, I think you touched on everything. You really did. I think for people that don't know me, like, and people that see this and and are watching it live, like a lot of it just comes from like, I'm a very, very perspective driven individual. Like, I try and put a lot of perspective in my life. I try and help other people see perspective and positivity. And I think we touched on all of that, of, of how it really stems down to the fact that everyone here, if you're watching this, you woke up. Not only that, you woke up and you have some type of platform to listen to this podcast, some type of platform to watch what's going on live. And there are tons of people, hundreds of thousands of people in the world who would kill to have a cell phone, who would love the opportunity to be promised the, to wake up tomorrow and they might not. 
And so for me, I'm just so driven on that passion and that concept of like, just take it, just, just don't take it for granted. You have a gift every single day when you wake up and you open, you open your eyes and you get out of bed, like you have a gift and people would love to have that opportunity. So I just try and try and get across to people. Don't waste that. Don't waste that opportunity. I'm 24 and uh, this shows my greatest passion. I, I have another business on the side, but what question should I be asking you specifically me asking you specifically you with your knowledge, your genius, your wisdom, what question should I ask you that I would not think to ask? Ooh, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the biggest things anyone, cause you're, you're a business owner. You, like you said, you're doing, you, you have a great podcast um, that's, that's out there. I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that took me the longest time to learn um, and I've gone through a lot of trials and tribulations, multiple businesses, businesses who, that have done really, really well, businesses that I've started and thought they were going to do really well and crash is how do you build something that, um, and how do you build the right team? I think that's one of the biggest questions that people have. Like you look at the people who are extremely successful. Like I'm, I love learning from like, again, the Tony Robbins of the world, like his team is on point. And how do you do it when money isn't the object? Like, like anyone can hire an amazing team when you have an unlimited budget, right? That's, that's cool. Cause people will be like, Oh, I can get the top guy from this, 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 how do you build a team? I'm not concerned with, I'm not con- like, even though I'm a huge Yankees fan, it was easy for the Yankees to go, cool. We have this budget. Let's pick all the right players. But at the same token, to their credit, they also had an incredible farm system. Like they built guys internally. That's what I love like about a team. Like how do you build a team that really sees the same mission, uh, vision, supports the mission of what you're trying to do and understands the concept that you're trying to get across to the world and buys into that and, and gets to a point where it's not a nine to five thing. Like, like I'm so against that. Like, oh, you got to clock in at 8.59 and you got to clock out at 5.01. I'm so against that. I want people who, cool, if you want to come in at 6.30 in the morning and leave at two o'clock, cool. But most people that I have on my team are people that come in at 6.30 and they're with me at 7.30 at night because they're pulled by it. It's such a passion. And finding those people and cultivating that culture is something that I think many businesses lack. So if that's the question, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, it's not easy, man. It's not easy. Honestly, it's, it's being very, very clear with your vision and transferring that vision and mission to everyone that you're going to have involved. Like I've worked with some of the, the greatest companies in the world and studied some of like their culture, like what makes companies great? Like what, why are, why is this company doing a hundred million dollars a year? And this company is doing $500 million a year, like understanding that. And like this, but the hundred million dollar company has a great culture. Um, So like, how do I, how do I look at that culture? A lot of it comes to the vision. It comes to the mission. It's finding people who are enthusiastic, people that understand like, yes, I do want a paycheck to take care of my basic needs, but that's not what drives me. Like the money component doesn't drive me. It's finding people who want to be fulfilled in what they do because 
anyone can go and find a job that's paying them 40, 50, $60,000 a year. Like those, those come and go. But at the end of the day, I'd much rather have someone or even me personally be someone who would say, I'm going to work for, for 30 grand a year, but be so fulfilled and passionate about what I do rather than go take a job that pays me $60,000 a year where I clock in at, at seven o'clock in the morning, clock out at five o'clock at night. I hate it. I can't wait to get home. And then I dread getting there the next day, right? Like those aren't the type of people that, I, that we bring into our environment. It's the people who say, you know what? I'm in this for the long run. I want people to be inside of my organization or be with me in my tribe and my company that are going to come here. And we're going to have like, I'm going to have children. They're going to have children. And our children are going to be inside of that company together because we, we love it. It's our passion project. It's our baby that we built together. It's not mine and they're just minions. It's no, this is our company together. Ryan, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, sharing this time with me and uh, giving me your full attention and, uh, and, and sharing all that you have. I really do appreciate it. And, and I want to thank you for that. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for the opportunity, man. It's been an absolute blast. And to everybody who's listening, everybody who's watching, whether it's live or whether it's a thousand years from now, hopefully the internet's still around and you know all that. Um, thank you so much for, for watching, listening, for being a part of this. I love you guys and gals. Y'all are the reason that I do this. So thank you, thank you, thank you.